This is Iron Mike Stedman, and I want to thank you for listening to my show, Dog Whistle Branding. Today on DWB, I'm joined by Abe K. Mark, a Navy veteran and founder of True Made Foods, a CPG company that produces a full line of condiments and sauces with no added sugar or artificial ingredients, including their flagship sugar-free ketchup and barbecue sauce. I invited Abe on the show to share the story of True Made Foods, along with the lessons he's learned scaling up a CPG company. CPG founders make their margin on volume, which requires them to sell and ship a lot of product. Not to mention, the CPG space is often overcrowded. So I want to learn from Abe firsthand the market opportunity he saw for True Made Foods, how he's managed to differentiate himself from the competition, and his plan for consistently driving revenue. Regardless of whether you're a CPG company or not, pay attention because Abe and True Made Foods are one of the many up-and-coming veteran-owned brands to be on the lookout for. All right, Gunny. Get them ready. Saddle up, lock and load. Abe, welcome to Dog Whistle Brandon. I've been I've been itching to get you on this show, man. You know, I got a chance to run out, run into you at the uh, Military Veterans Startup Conference. I've seen you. Um, uh, I think I saw a clip of you at Rice, if I'm not mistaken. So you've been out there hooking and jabbing. You know, I'm a boxer. We bob and weave and whatnot. Um, but I'm excited to get you on the show. And like I was saying in the pre-interview um, before we hit record was I have a lot of clients I'm working with now on the brand strategy front that are in the CPG space. So that consumer packaged goods. And in terms of standing out from the crowd, I feel like that's a very hard space in a sense of how do you turn this into a sustainable business beyond us just making you know, CBG products in our kitchen, et cetera. So I feel like um, this will be a great discussion. I'm excited to learn from you. So let's start by just kind of having you introduce yourself uh, to our audience. Yeah, so my, uh, my name is Abe K. Mark, Abraham Abe K. Mark. Um, I was a, uh, I'm a Navy veteran. I was a 60 pilot, 60 Bravos, um, back when they had Bravos, Lamps pilot. Um, I went to Vanderbilt on ROTC scholarship, you know, and aviation. Uh, did my tours. I was in, I got out in, uh, 2008, um, after my shore duty. Um, I did my shore duty in England at the Jack Moltworth. So I actually did, worked. I didn't transition into Intel. I just happened to get a shore duty over there. I told my skipper when I was leaving the squadron, I was like, Hey, can you get me into Europe? And he goes, well, Navier is shutting down. So I can't get you into London, but there's a place called Jack Moltworth. And I was like, who the hell is Jack Moltworth? But I'll take it. So um, I ended up on an Intel base and working in counterterrorism from my shore duty, which was great because um, it allowed me to get my MBA at the same time. So I did my MBA um, at the London Business School while I was stationed there, which was awesome. Um, got out in 2008, which was a terrible time to leave the military. So if there's ever a major recession, don't leave the military, stay in. Um, and uh, <clears throat> But I ended up then, that forced me to work overseas. So I I lived in Bulgaria, ran a factory in Bulgaria actually for a while. Then I uh, moved my family and I we moved to Doha, Qatar. We lived in Doha, Qatar for three and a half years. Um, I started businesses over there um, and then moved back to the U.S. in uh, 2013 and uh, did a short stint as a director of innovation for a charity, helping them launch uh, social impact products. And that's how I got introduced to the food industry. Um, and <clears throat> when the charity ran out of money and they started letting people go, um, I took that as a sign to kind of like finally, you know, just start my own business. Um, and uh, I fell in love with food, with doing food products and seeing what was happening in the food industry in like 2013, 2014. Now people, there was a massive shift going over to natural and healthier food, um, which I was a big proponent of. 
And I didn't see a lot of people doing it right. Like I really thought like the natural food industry could do it much better. And so I, I jumped in and, you know, I, I started True Made Foods and uh, I chose ketchup because somebody gave me the idea of uh, <clears throat> putting veggies in ketchup. And as a dad, I got four kids and uh, ketchup was the bane of my existence as a father because my kids were pouring this red sugar. Ketchup is more sugar than ice cream. It's terrible for you. It's one of the worst things in the American refrigerator from a metabolic standpoint. Um, and uh, they were pouring it all over their food. I couldn't get them to stop because if you ever try to argue with a five-year-old about ketchup, you're going to lose um, that argument. They're not going to eat their dinner. Uh, so I kept losing the battle at the dinner table, so I decided to win the war, and uh, I made a better ketchup. I used veggies as a natural sweetener. Kind of like I grew up with an Italian mom, short story. I grew up with an Italian mother, taught me how to cook at a young age, so I've always been cooking. And my mom always said only lazy Italians use sugar. We always use carrots in our pasta sauce and actually sweeten things. And so that's what I did. I used carrots in the ketchup, and then we added bucket of squash and then apple. And we've been able to create this awesome no-sugar ketchup that's completely made from pureed fruits and vegetables um, that tastes just like ketchup. Um, then in 2018, I partnered with these pitmasters from uh, North Carolina, father and son team, Ed and Ryan Mitchell, legends. Um, amazing stuff. And we launched barbecue sauces. Uh, same same idea with no sugar, no low-sugar products. Now we've got mustards and everything, and uh, we're in 6,000 stores nationwide and um, in two major league ballparks. And uh, we're hoping to keep growing and expanding. Congratulations. And there's some things you said in there. And I try to say this with uh with CPG companies all the time. You said you started with like one core product, which was the ketchup. And what you see happening at the maker markets, you know, people are launching like so many different products all at once. And I'm like, can you get good at like selling one thing first? And like let's really drive sales and revenue, and then we can start expanding into other things. But like there's so in love with like offering different flavors and this and that. And I'm like, listen, man, let's just make this simple and sell one product. Yeah. And that's it. Even now though, we have, we have like 11 skews right now. We still like our hero skews are the ketchup and the barbecue sauces. Uh, barbecue sauce kind of works like a category, the economics of it on the shelf. Like you can't just sell one barbecue sauce. You'll be dead. Next time you go into a grocery store. Now you'll, you'll notice, look at the barbecue sauce shelf. There's like, None of the major brands have less than like five facings. And so they all have, um, you know, multiple different flavors just to be able to have all those facings. So it works like a brand block. So you have to have multiple flavors for barbecue, but it's basically one product, you know. Um, <clears throat> so ketchup and barbecue are our hero products, and that's what we focus on the most. Everything else is kind of complementary to kind of lift them up. You know, you need the mustard to try to complement the ketchup and the, bar- the hot sauce. Um, so we can create multi-packs and things like that and sell them online and do, you know, special packs for the stores. Um, and for food service, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's really important. And actually even in food, especially in food and consumer goods, um, they've seen that the, uh, uh, the, the companies that get acquired most often are the ones that just do one thing really, really well. You know, they have like one or two hero skews and, or one category that they really just kind of dominate in. Um, the one exception is Primal Kitchen, um, who got acquired in 2018, uh, by Kraft Heinz. You know, they were a mile wide and an inch deep, and they still are. They've got, like, a thousand different SKUs. Um, but, you know, I think they were doing – their branding was so strong with Mark Sisson behind them and everything and being the leader of the paleo movement. So um, I think they were just uh, – you know, they played on the, the rise of the paleo movement, and they were able to get acquired based on that. Um, otherwise, you know, you really do – all the other data says that you need to stay focused on just one or two hero SKUs. Um, 
especially when working capital is tight and everything like that, just the financing of the business is really difficult enough. It's difficult enough as it, as it is. And you, you're so tempted to try to bring in extra revenue streams by adding another product, but you're that really at the end of the day, you're just spreading your capital. You're making it harder for yourself to survive. You're just adding more costs. So, um, yeah, so we try to stay focused. That's, and that's one of the challenges of my category. Like if you were in a um, salty snack or something like that, you, you might have, you're really just going to have one core category. Like my friend, um, Gavin, who does love corn, they just do it. It's like kind of like a corn nut type thing, but better for you, corn nut. Um, awesome product. They, uh, basically they have one product, which is this roasted corn. And then they have like four different flavors. It's just different spice mixes, right? Everything, the packaging is the same. Everything else is the same. It's all going to be in the same category in the same area, things like that. You know, the, the slight different flavors give the, uh, appearance of choice. That's really not. And you see the big companies, they do that too. Like they really have no, um, real innovation going on. Like they, they're just doing like minor variations of their current packaging to try to get more shelf space. So, uh, so much in consumer, like you really need to have, be really, really good at one thing. Cause that's, what's going to drive your economics. I feel like CPG companies are the hardest ones to launch because the margins, right. One, there's a lot of overhead associated with it Two, can be low margins, right? Now, obviously you can hit scale where you're starting to work wholesale. And like you say, you're in 6,000 stores, but you still have to spend a lot of money to ship this product versus me, like a service industry. Right. Yeah, I have my team and my staff, but it's a lot better margin. So in this CPG space, you've got to be really good at sales. Right. And it's not enough to just go and post on Instagram and TikTok and all this other stuff. You know, in the early days, you've got to get out there. You got to shake hands. You know, you got to. It's a contact sport. I forgot who I was talking to. He, he describes it as like blocking and tackling. You know, just it's kind of out it there. is blocking and tackling. That's what we, we used to put that in our um strategy briefings all the time it was like we gotta stick to blocking and tackling we gotta stick to blocking and tackling which is just like staying in your you know going to the stores making sure the product's selling in the stores doing the demos like pre-pandemic pre-pandemic was all all we did especially because we were smaller all we did was uh demos in stores and field marketing events so it was all about face-to-face sampling getting people to try the product so we did lots of demos in stores um you know, I was on the road all the time doing demos. Uh, almost every single Sunday I was doing a demo. And then uh, my wife was never happy with this. And then, uh, you know, we had um, my first hire, my field marketing director, like all she did was coordinate and do demos too. And she's been amazing because like just finding something like that to actually find and hire people to do demos. But like getting your product out there and having somebody pitch it and talk about it makes all the difference. Um, doing events, things like this. So right off the bat, right, like I always stress our listeners, identify their perfect customer, right? So this is someone that knows you, is willing to pay a premium for your product or service, make referrals on your behalf, and they're a pleasure to work with. They're not the people that are like, Abe, there was fingernails in my ketchup or something. That's not that happens, right? But you know the client. Why do you guys say that? Why do you guys say that? Now people are going to think that. Uh, but, you know, certain customers can really be pain in the ass. And you're just like, why are you making things like so difficult, you know? Um, but in your case, it sounds like you didn't go directly to consumers, right? You also went to the wholesalers, right? You went to the distributors. Was that always a part of your go-to-market from the very beginning? Yeah. I mean, I tell anybody who's starting a consumer company right now, I tell them, I would say go online first. Don't go to stores. Um, if you do go to stores, go to like just a few local stores, something like that, something really easy to control and handle. Um, don't 
I would go online first to test things out. You know, test your test your product out online first. Um, you're going to have a larger audience. Uh, you'll it's so much easier to shift and pivot and things like that. You know, um, to see how it does, to figure out what kind of keywords really get people excited, to figure out, and then you get a more of a direct relationship with your customer too, because you know who your customer is and you can contact them and you can figure out. You know what their repeat buy rate is if they don't repeat buy you can find out why that kind of stuff um i would always go online first we didn't um uh, that was kind of a mistake on our side um because going online was a little bit easier back then from a direct consumer standpoint um we weren't able to because all our products my initial products were all just glass bottles and at, when we launched amazon wouldn't let you sell glass bottles um through fda so <clears throat> there was a major limitation there um and we didn't have the capacity to really do FBM uh, fulfillment by merchant. So um, up to Amazon standards. So it was really tough. Um, so we went when we went retailers first and uh, that was hard. Um, it's one of the reasons I'm based in like the DC metro area. I'm in Northern Virginia, but like one of the reasons I launched, I tried to launch initially in New York because I thought it'd be easier to, because there's so many more independent stores, independent grocery stores in New York, things like that. And so um, that's what I focused on first. And I used to take you know, our minivan up to New York. I was lucky my dad lived in New York at the time. He had an apartment, so I had a place to stay. And I would just, you know, uh, park the van full of product. And like during the two hours where you have to move the car in the street because of the street cleaning, that's when I would go to deliveries in Brooklyn and stuff like that. So it was, uh, but you know, um, yeah, going into the stores, it was really tough. You don't get paid. Um, it's uh, you don't know what's going to happen if you're not there. You really have to demo the product to make it sell and things like that initially. Um, so it's safe to say in the early days, though, for you, like marketing was really just sales. Yeah. It, was it, was. Closing, it was sales, building awareness, getting people to taste the product. Right. That's yes. that, that's how you build brand awareness. And just getting out there and doing events like any event, any food related event, we can get a table at or anything like that. You know, we would get out there and hand out flyers or coupons and, and uh, you know, hand out samples and try to sell. Um, like there was a show here in D.C. every December called the D.C. Metro Cooking Show. I've always done that just because, you know, a few hundred to a thousand people come through who are really interested in new food and like, you know, just to get the product in front of them, get them trying it, get them familiar with it. So, um how would you advise our listeners to get traffic to their website though? Is it, would it just be again, going out there and making those sales? Because I'll give you an example, right? I work with a few CPG brands and they're doing pop-ups. So they're doing the bazaars and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And their goal is they want more revenue coming through their website. But like right now for business, I'm like, all right, what's your most profitable thing that you're selling right now? And it's like their one product, whatever. And where do you make the most money at your freaking pop-up? Okay, cool. Let's make a badass pop-up. <laughs> dialed in you know like what does it take for us to make twenty five hundred dollars plus consistently at a pop-up our point of sale is dialed in everything is good boom right and the goal is if we want to sell everything through the website then we need to start off hitting the pop-ups drive traffic to the website and then once the website traffic and the revenue we're bringing in then we can make the decision of do we close down the pop-up but you're going to lose out on that twenty five hundred etc Right. Or do you keep leaning into it until the website you're bringing in? I don't know, 10, 15 K consistently. And you're like, OK, I don't have to do the twenty five hundred dollar pop up anymore. But I feel like so many in the CPG pace are trying to put the cart before the horse. They just right. want to go straight online. online. Everybody's it's, loving their it's brand. Easier. It's, they easier. Think it's easier. Yeah, they think it's easier. But 
you can't drive traffic to your website like you used to be able to like you know with uh you know in 2010 if you started a online website like a direct consumer a dtc business and you had a facebook page and instagram that's all you needed and you just post cool cool contact content great photos videos things like that next thing you know you get natural traffic and organic growth you can't do that anymore the roi is dead it's it's incredibly expensive you got to buy eyeballs things like this um really hard I tell you, I think that is the exact best way to do it. Do farmers markets and food bazaars and get out there and create a personal connection with people so they don't forget you. You can hand them, you know, flyers with a coupon code for your Shopify site and things like that and get them to get that initial purchase um, and drive that initial traffic to your website and, you know, make sure that you're seeing conversion. Um, yeah, I would keep I would keep doing the pop-ups and I would keep doing the, the uh, farmer's markets until you have like a certain amount of traffic that you are really happy with in order then you have funding or you have money that you can start investing in other marketing channels. Um, and it's really, I mean, there's, it's probably different for every single product. It depends on the repeat buy rate and loyalty, things like this. But it's also the best way to test because like, you don't know your first version is going to be crap, right? Like, um, so most likely, you know, so <clears throat> you got to figure out somebody may love you at the pop-up and then because you're there engaging with you and everybody loves meeting the founders and seeing their energy and then you know they go buy your product online and then you know they're maybe the product doesn't resonate as well with them and uh they don't buy it again um so you got to figure out why these people aren't buying again what's your if you're not seeing repeat buying that's the most important thing right so um especially if you're a fast burn good um that was always one of the biggest problems with our products is uh the worst thing about our category is it's it's a slow turn, naturally slow turn category, right? It's uh, like how many times a year are you buying ketchup, right? You know, families with a lot of kids are buying ketchup on a regular basis and everybody, nobody else is, right? Yeah, so, I remember buying ketchup and it just kind of sits in the fridge, right? It yeah. like crust on top. So it's there like when you need it. But yeah. like, especially when you're like health conscious and stuff, like right, I... Yeah. Barely use you're probably, ketchup. You're probably, yeah, barely using ketchup, right? And so, yeah, that's, I think the average American buys, average American household buys three bottles of ketchup a year, right? And that's varying from, you know, singles and uh, <clears throat> empty nesters who are never buying it or buying it once every two years to people who are buying it. Um, uh, yeah, people are buying it once a week because they got four kids and things like that. So, you know, <clears throat> So we, you really have to know your consumer. And so that's why for us, like, for example, we try to target family the most, like we're going after high users. Um, you know, uh, we, it's great if single people buy our ketchup and things like that. And if they're fans of it, but they're just not going to use enough of it really to be, you know, sustainable customers. Right. So we, we need families buying our products. We need the people who are going to be using this, these products over and over again. Um, so that's important to find those customers too. That's the other thing is like knowing your customer niche finding that out based on the usage rate, where and how people use your product, especially for food. This is so important. Like ketchup is a, it's an add-on. It goes with something else. Like nobody's ever eating ketchup or barbecue sauce on its own. Like it's, it goes with an event, like some type of event that it goes with. Like you're, you're having some type of meal. And so the ketchup and the barbecue sauce come out. And so that's the, uh, that's what we always have to understand and try to pair with and then try to um, make sure that we're hitting those events constantly. So I just released an episode on Dog What's a Brand today entitled Positioning Won't Help If There's No Demand, right? <laughs> so, you know, it's so important to make sure that there's like a market there for what you're offering. And I think the CPG uh, space is really interesting, particularly the health space, right? Because, you know, 10 years ago, nobody cared about 
sugar-free, vegan, whatever. And I'm sure that there were really dope brands that launched pre-2010 that never saw the light of day because the market just wasn't there. And like, no matter how good of an entrepreneur you were, you would constantly swim upstream versus like nowadays, right? People are a lot health, more health conscious. Hell, I can, there's vegan restaurants up and down the street, right? Fast food restaurants, vegan fast food restaurants. So you saw that because you came from the space, right? Like you were already doing yeah. health things, you know, um, and then you got, you tested, right? So you validated, but you said you wish you would have done a website. Well, we had the website and we did, you know, del- consumer before the, you know, we did delivery, we did direct consumer um, through the website because you have to when you launch, like no matter what. Um, you know, we started with a WordPress, WooCommerce site, things like that. Um, <clears throat> and now, um, and we were doing all the, I was doing all the fulfillment myself. Like I was literally, I would have sometimes my kids pack the boxes and things like that. And then we would ship it out um, in the first few years. But it's, uh, I wish we had gone, been more serious about it and focused on that, right? By getting into stores and trying to drive. So when we're going out and doing events and things like this, driving traffic to the website, trying to get more purchase rates through. Um, though, granted for my product, it's, it's harder. Like it's, uh, if you're a coffee, like that's what you should do, hands down. You should only go online. You should never be in a store. You should probably almost never even look at a store. If you're a protein powder or anything like that, like, you know, ships easy, uh, repeat purchase. You can put it on um, repeat order, things like this on subscription. Those things are just ideal. Um, our products kind of suck for online, which is one of the reasons we went um, uh, stores first. Uh, the only reason I did wish we did lean it online a little bit more just would have made life easier to test things out and get to know our consumers better. Um, <clears throat> the uh, the uh, the problem is again like the repeat purchase rate. Like number one, nobody's buying trying to ship a single bottle of ketchup online is like especially when we were all glass is like nearly impossible. It's so expensive in the packaging stuff like that, right? So it makes the bottle of ketchup like fifteen dollars, right? And then and nobody's buying that, and then. Um, um you so you ship three or six bottles or something like that so and then you somebody buys three bottles of ketchup for you or six bottles of ketchup they're not buying again for even if they're heavy users they're not buying it again for like a year at least so you're not getting that feedback on like do this does this person really love the product are we seeing repeat your repeat purchase rate is almost nothing right so and they your product could be a high have a high usage rate but they are they bought six bottles so you know um, so it takes years to really see what the repeat purchase rate is on that. So again, that's really just knowing, again, knowing your product and knowing how it's used and how it's consumed and the challenges behind it. Um, so that's what we get is like, uh, you know, the biggest challenge with our launching this tech SKU is, uh, the, the use of the natural slow turns, like the natural usage rate. Um, and that's why you see so many more startups in higher turn categories, beverage, Salty snacks, um, energy bars, uh, fruit snacks, kid snacks, uh, baby foods, things like that where people are using it every day um, or consumables where they buy it at the store, consume it right away and throw it, you know, and then buy it again. So you see a lot more startups, and a lot more funding going into those because you can get to five million in sales like in one city. Right. You could be the uh, you could be the coffee or the kombucha of Washington, D.C and like be a 10 million 15 million dollar brand um you can't be the ketchup of washington dc and be a 10 million dollar brand it's like highly unlikely you would literally have to have every single market every single household buying the product in the in the uh 
in the uh, um, the DMA. So it's like a, a uh, so it's a so it's our skew our our category is much harder. We have to focus on a wider swath. We have to go after more regions at the same time. We have to be in bigger stores. Um, again, the other challenge with our product is there <clears throat> we're a natural better for you product, but we're a conventional category, right? So a lot of people like it that one of the great ways to start launching once you start moving offline is the first stores you should be going into are like kind of specialty and natural food stores and things like this, just depending on your product and like what its positioning is. Um, but from considering most people are launching a better for you or natural version of something, you know, they're getting into, you know, getting into these local type stores like down here in, in the Maryland, Virginia area, we've got Mom's Organic. That's a great place to launch if you're a new product. Um, they, uh, the challenge with that with ketchup and barbecue sauce is like a lot of people will go shop those stores and then go to Safeway to buy their ketchup, right? Because they're not thinking, they're thinking it's the same thing. It's not a big difference, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, so the turns are really slow for the natural products for conventional items and natural products. Too. Um, and there's probably no better fit for that than ketchup. I don't know, except maybe like beer, something like this. Um, and you're, and so we have to then like, we got to be in Safeway, you know, we got to be in Harris Teeter. Um, we got to be in ShopRite, um, which are like monsters to work with for a small brand. Like they can crush you, right? They don't care about you. They'll bring you in, no problem. They'll take your slotting fees and then uh, discontinue in the next year. So it's always risky, like working with those big brands. And things like that. You can't have that Stop predictable revenue. You can't have that right. predictable revenue. And it's like you said, they take a lot of margin too, because they're the big fish. They got all the leverage. And so you know, starting out, like you say, of getting those small shops that appreciate you and what you're doing. But as you try to build a scalable venture, you've got to expand beyond that is essentially what you're saying. Yeah. And uh, so having a strategy set forth based on, you know, knowing what the turn rate's going to be. So like if you're a food brand, um, like if you're, if you're doing a chip, something like say you're doing a sweet potato chip or something like that um better for you all natural like you can do launch your sweet potato chip and whole foods in your region plus all the local stores and you could build up to one two million dollars in sales just in your local region in that. um if you work really hard and demo it and do events and things like this and then you could expand out to other and you can just have the strategy it's like okay i'm just going to take this out in the natural channel and go to similar stores in different regions and, and push it the same way. And now that I know that my packaging is going to work, now that I've tested it in my local market and I can see the packaging works, I know how to get a place where it needs to be in the aisle. And uh, so then you can repeat that in other markets and expand other Whole Foods regions. You can expand to um, other uh, local stores um, in new regions. So if, like you start in New York, then you can go to Boston or you can go to DC um, and you can go to Atlanta. So Atlanta doesn't have a lot of local stores. And then uh, you you get into these types of you could do that and repeat it and repeat it out and then you could build up like ten million in sales like just in the natural channel right because salty snack high repeat purchasing you know um, really good margins um, and so that's the kind of strategy you want to kind of build off of and then from there you want to go um, then you would raise money and use that as a test base and be like okay let's see if we can go into stop and shop. Can we go conventional? Can we go into Safeway? Can we go into Kroger um, and do well? And then you just really have to, like, it's tough. Groceries are always changing. So you have to look at um, the grocery stores themselves. Like, so Kroger is very conventional. It's huge. It's massive. But Kroger's got great shoppers. 
right? People do their full body shopping at Kroger, like Kroger steals from Whole Foods, right? Like um, people with good Kroger stores that live near like an Ace Kroger store only do their shopping at Kroger. Um, same with like Publix and HEB, like and Wegmans too, like great grocery stores that like really capture everybody. <clears throat> Safeway and Stop and Shop don't quite grab that, right? They they'll get <clears throat> the people doing the the convenience shopping, like because it's the easiest thing place to go, and they'll get where people are they're going to go buy toilet paper and paper towels and ketchup and stuff like that their their pantry list items and then they might go to whole foods or kings or something like that to go get their meat and their vegetables and any other type of items right so you got to understand like shopper behavior and of course the pandemic has screwed this all up because everybody's shopper behaviors changed completely during the pandemic so um but pre-pandemic was very much divided like that um and uh it was changing all the time too. A lot of specialty stores right before the pandemic went bankrupt and like were struggling. Well, obviously like, you know, where you are like Kings in New Jersey, you know, they went up, they got bought out by uh, Safeway. Uh, Fairway went bankrupt, you know, in New York City, things like that. They got bought out. They're the only ones that are surviving are owned by uh, ShopRite's uh, ShopRite group. Because um, these specialty stores were having trouble surviving because some of the bigger stores like Stop and Shop and Whole Foods were just, you know, eking off of them and they weren't doing anything different anymore. Um, you know, Fairway and Kings used to be the only place you could go to get like good olive oil, right? And then Stop and Shop just brought in better olive oil. And like, what's the point, right? And so you're just paying for more expensive and the same thing. Um, and so that's trying to stay on top of the shopper behavior and understanding where you need to be um, and what stores you want to go into as you scale is really important. Because if you go into the wrong store, we definitely did make, I made that mistake a ton of times being too aggressive. Um, being too overconfident in our products uh, that we could sell and going into stores that just did not work out for us. Um, but in your defense, though, you don't know what you don't know, right? So again, right. you know, business is a contact sport. You got to get out there and make contact. You get that market-based feedback and you move along. You don't try to fit a round peg into a square hole. You keep it moving. And Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? That's so, it. That's and another thing yeah. too, I'll let you know, I spend a lot of time listening to uh science inc right i like a lot of the content that they put out because liquid death mountain water falls under them uh they had dollar shave club uh as well it's a it's a startup studio down in uh santa monica california and one of the things the founder of uh science uh talked about was with cpg brands you have to be radically different Right. And you got to have a distribution channel. And so when I jump on the podcast and I see you with a shirt that says, fuck sugar, you know, what does it say? Uh, uh, cut the sugar, keep the flavor. Right. I'm like, this guy gets it because right off the bat, there's that radical differentiation. And when I was doing research on liquid death, I was surprised to type in the founder's name and see him pop up on all these like heavy metal podcasts and whatnot. Right punk rock podcast and for you you're saying it like hey we sell ketchup but our perfect customers are like families right and are they moms are they the husband talk to us about you know where would your tribe where would you find your tribe you're like hey i need to go out and connect with them i need to create content like where would that be yeah well the data and based on experience like our hardcore consumer is uh you know, they're, they're educated, they got multiple kids, they're living in suburbs of a major metropolitan area, you know, and they um, usually more diverse, uh, younger, millennial, um, and they just give a shit about what they put in their bodies, you know, and then what they're feeding their kids. And they're constantly concerned about what, they, what they're, they're feeding their kids. And so that means, um, you yeah, know, they, but at the same time, 
you know, they are time strapped and budget strapped and things like that, right? Because in a perfect world, nobody would ever eat ketchup, right? You'd be handcrafting every all your food and things like this and be like kale and quinoa salads every night. And and uh, if you got kids, you know that, you know, chicken nuggets are going to happen. It's going to be a thing. And hamburgers and hot dogs because it's fast and it's easy and that's life, right? And so and when those things happen, there's going to be ketchup. And we're trying to take that guilt off the table. So our core consumer is that guilt consumer, like which what I was, which was like, I'm trying to feed my kids healthy, but I'm stuck in this environment where everything is shit. And like, you know, we are, um, there's this thing called ketchup and I can't get my kids to stop eating it, but can't not eat hamburgers. Right. And so, um, we're creating that solution. We're, we're taking that pain off the table of that guilt for those parents. And, and like, you know, you, now you can eat everything you want. Now you can do that. And that's why we were like kind of aggressive about going into ballparks, um, and things like that, because we want, we want everybody to have these. The other piece of this is like, we want people to have these events. Like you want to have a cookout. Like if you're trying to feed your kids healthy, you want to feed your health, uh, family healthy. You don't want to give up cookouts. You want to go and give up family barbecues. And that's why it was important to work with Ed and Ryan Mitchell too, to have real barbecue, real pit masters behind this. Cause like you should, we shouldn't have to give up barbecue, right. As a, as a, as a nation, it's, that's, it's the national cuisine, right? If America had a national cuisine, I think we should be barbecue. I think we should, we should be pushing that in front of Congress, by the way. Um, but it's like, um, but it shouldn't be killing us either at the same time. And right now it's killing us. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't have to make that choice. You know, we shouldn't be eating fake, you know, fake meat and kale, kale and quinoa salads all the time. Um, we could be able to eat, you know, hamburgers and pork shoulder, things like this. We just have to do it better with better ingredients. And so it's these uh, people, you know, it's these average Americans in the suburbs, typically, who are like torn between this, where like they want to have these Americana experiences. They want to be at game, they want to go to church picnics, they want to go Friday night football games, and they want to do all this stuff, and they want to let their kids just, you know, have a regular life, and have that nostalgia of like the the family backyard barbecue, but with in a safe and healthy way, right? And that's what we're trying to do, and so that's the pain we're trying to remove is like that crazy guilt, um, and yeah, you know, as a parent, I feel it constantly because like, you are always going to different things, always going to different events. And there's always bad food around it where it's like a birthday party or anything else. So, I mean, we're starting because I love the barbecue side of it. So we're starting with the ketchup and the barbecue sauces and the condiments as the first piece. Um, Cause you should be able to eat ribs like once a week and not feel terrible about it. You know, um, that's you know, why you have, sure. that's why you have a uh, founder product fit, right? So it's not like you're, you know, <laughs> So many people are trying to make assumptions and they have no idea about the community. They have no idea about the problem, right? When you were speaking just now, like you were saying it with confidence, like, cause you were talking about yourself too. The other aspect of it is y'all, his veins are like busting through his t-shirt. So like, I know he was getting it in this morning. So this is an important problem to him, right? He lives in the community. He breathes it. And I just think that's so powerful when you're trying to solve uh, or build these real brands that are just real pain points, right? We're not just looking at, oh, this just sounds like a great business opportunity that we have no idea about, we have no expertise in, versus like, hey, looking around and saying, hey, this is a problem I'm facing myself. I wonder if other people are facing it as well. I think I'm the one to craft a solution for it. Exactly. Like you're living the problem, right? And then that gets into your differentiation point too. Like <clears throat> then you got to push that differentiator, right? 
um, so many people come to me all the time with like starting a new consumer product and like over half the time, I just want to be like, no, don't do it. Like you will not stand out. Like, look, there's a hundred other things just like this on the shelf. And you think your stuff is better or special or your branding is better or your story is better. I mean, maybe, um, but the less differentiated you are, the more money you need to just market your product, right? Yeah, you can, you can be, um, you can be less differentiated. You can just build it on brand and things like that, but you better have like $5 million to start backing that up, right? To invest in that and hiring the best people possible and creating amazing content and things like that to build that, start building that connection with your brand. Um, the less money you have to start your product, the more differentiated you need to be. Uh, there's a big mistake we made early on was <clears throat> not focusing on the sugar as much and also you know trying to look our early branding was like really crafty like look like you know almost homemade crafty type stuff and that just didn't fly in our category right and we thought that that was like the i think it was like overly influenced at the time there was like that kind of like that that made it home brooklyn type movement and things like that and so we were like just following that and i think that was a mistake um it really hurt us um to get to our ultimate brand like we should have just been focusing on we're selling to families. We don't want to try to be crafty Brooklyn people. Like we want to be suburban. We want to be competing with Heinz kind of level of branding. Um, we should be using bright primary colors, which is what we use now. And we should be focused on like the main differentiator, which is like, you know, this is great stuff that's better for you. Like hands down, that's it. Like, you know, and we're taking that guilt off the table. You can let your kids pour the ketchup all over their food and you don't even have to blink an eye. So you're saying that packaging and branding is important early on part of the differentiation strategy. Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the main reasons to launch online because it's easier to test what's differentiated. Like what are the keywords that people are keying? Like if you buy ads or anything like that, what are the keywords that are, you know, people are, are, are clicking on? Uh, what's the descriptor that is causing people to, to, um, to click through um, and to purchase. And, you know, you can test this stuff a lot easier. Um, it's a lot easier than changing your packaging, right? We changed our packaging multiple times. Through, through, um, and <clears throat> part of that was that it was really hard to find a really good designer um, who really got us um, and who really understood what we needed to do. Uh, so it took years to find that right person. Um, but, if we, you know, we probably could have done it faster. We could have done it a little bit better earlier on. Love it. So as we close out here, man, I really appreciate your time. Uh, like I said, I've been trying itching, y'all, scratching, just waiting to get them on the podcast. And I feel like you've dropped tons of value for our audience. So one thing we like to do on this show is also make sure we're giving our listeners actionable tips to walk away with, particularly those that are in the CBG space, because I'm going to send this episode to the entrepreneurs I know. What are three things you would have them focus on with regards to probably driving revenue? Because that's the biggest challenge that they face. Yeah, is uh, num number one is obviously who is your customer target? Everybody says this is beaten to death, but like you have you have to know your customer target. Like who who is the absolute the exact person who's buying your product, and and narrow it down as much as possible. And not just the person who's buying your product, the person who fucking loves your product. And then um, two is uh, positioning. And I know again, this is a marketing term that gets abused all the time, but it's so critical. It's like what what is your difference on the goddamn shelf between everything else, all the other crap that's out there? Like, and it, and it has to be something clear 
and distinct. It can't be, you know, that is very, that you can describe in two words, right? Like what's the difference between us and, and Heinz is like no sugar, all natural, you know, boom. Like what's the difference between us and Heinz is no sugar. Like we're all natural. They use an artificial sweetener. Boom. Like that you have to, you have to have like a very key and distinct differentiator that's really quick and easy to describe and then make sure it, it pings with that customer. And then finally, like, then we got to figure out how to find that customer, like track the hem, track them down, get in front of them, um, do whatever you can. And, you know, if you have a lot of money buy Instagram ads and uh, TikTok ads and things like that, if you don't um, stay away from Facebook, probably no matter what. Um, and, uh, then if you don't have money, like go after, um, you know, these events, find the events that they're at, things like this. Um, you know, Under Armour launched by selling at, uh, bodybuilding shows, right? Things like this. Um, you know, they, he went, he drove around, the guy drove around to different places and watched bodybuilding shows. Nike started by driving around and selling shoes at races. Um, you know, they, they had a very narrow customer that they were targeting initially, things like this. Um, so yeah, we're doing some of that now with um, Target. We're sponsoring like youth sports, like soccer and baseball teams and stuff like that. And we want to get into like um, <clears throat> hosting tournaments and things and uh, getting into, you know, targeting PTAs and advertising the PTAs. Things like so we can get in front of these types of parents and the right demographics. Man, one of the things I love about talking to you and everything I see from you, you don't, you cut through the fluff. Right. You know, there are entrepreneurs out there that figure like they got it all figured out that, it, oh, yeah, man, we're killing it. But, man, I feel like every time you get in front of our community, you're open and honest and our listeners are going to get tons of value out of that. So I appreciate that about you. And so with that, how can our community of listeners, this dog whistle brand and ecosystem we're building out, how can we support uh, your company, True Made Foods? Well, man, go buy the product. Uh, find us in store. Buy us online, buy us on Amazon, and buy us on our website. Um, you know, we're, we're in 6,000 stores nationwide. Tell everybody about it. Um, buy our product. If you don't use ketchup a lot, uh, you know, find your nieces and nephews or your uh, grandkids or whoever it is that you got um, who might use ketchup a lot and get the product in front of them. Um, get the barbecue sauce out in front of people. Every time you go to a restaurant to complain that they don't have a no sugar ketchup, like that's a big thing. Like we're trying to get into food service. And the problem is that restaurants were like, well, nobody's complaining. It's because nobody's complaining because nobody knows that there's a better option. So, you know, get out there and, you know, start complaining that people don't have no sugar ketchup um, or better barbecue sauce. Um, you know, every time you go to a cookout, grab some bottles and bring them, please. Um, that's the biggest help you can get. Just We just need brand ambassadors out there telling the story. So. Love it, man. I'll be sure to include a link to your website um, in the show notes. Make sure y'all follow him on LinkedIn. Uh, we got to elevate these brands, man, because I feel like the veteran community is interesting because we all are rooting for each other, you know, because when you win, it shows other people what's possible in their own life and in their own venture. But it takes a community. It takes a tribe. And uh, my goal is to kind of activate that with this platform. So uh, one thing I would love to be able to do is I would love to write about uh, True Made Foods, too. I'm trying to step up my uh I'm trying to get better at communicating my thoughts, right? And I want to highlight more brands within our ecosystem. So if I write about you in the newsletter, I'd love to forward it to you to take a look at. Let me know what you think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. For all our listeners, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter, Dog Whistle Brandon. Also at the link in the show notes, sign our newsletter at least once a week on Substack every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Be sure to follow me on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. 
and uh, reach out to me if you need anything. Until next time, peace, love. Have a great rest of your week.